analogy. Yes, if you were at the first service, I used a whiteboard and didn't write on it. I promised I wrote it on it this time. And I want to tell you the illustration because, first of all, I think that it clarifies, um, you know, a little bit for us what happens with baptism and dedication, you know, baptification services. And, uh, and so this is, you know, this is the way we're going to do it today. And this, uh, you know, I use a sporting analogy, and I wanted to stick with the, the role that the Lord placed on my heart to be in today. And so... So I'm going to do that. But, but, but in order for me to get into the second, to, to this part of my talk, I wanted to make sure, we, see we have all the, the ba- here's all the dedications right here. Baptisms. Dedications. Didn't forget a name the whole day. Even though I did have one couple who came up to be baptized, and the wife was like, no, 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 we're getting dedicated. And the husband goes, really? And that was kind of an awkward moment. But besides that, it was really smooth. You know, today in the talk, I talked, where's my pens? Here we go. I asked Jody to bring me two pens, and she just, I promised I did not ask her to bring orange and blue, but she did. So I, I'm sorry, I have to use two different colors, though. But, um, but I wanted to, 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 to illustrate to you kind of where the journey, just real quickly, because I don't have a lot of time, the journey that I took people on today, when I was talking to the church and talking to parents about, well, what happens and baptification, and baptisms, and dedication. Like, what, you know, are they, do they become Christians? Are they, are they going to be saved then? You know, what is all that? Like, how do they fit into the reality of the world? Because it's, you know, some people believe that whenever you baptize a baby, that they become a Christian. And we, we clearly teach that that's not what we believe. We believe that whenever we baptize babies, they, uh, we baptize them into the kingdom of God with the hopes that one day they will profess on their own and make a decision to follow Christ and be about forwarded, forwarding his kingdom. And I talked a little bit about the church and the importance of being on a team and feeling like we're a team and our responsibility being uh, to demonstrate for those children what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And when I started with this analogy, originally I thought, well, whenever we baptize kids or dedicate children, well, we put them on the bench. That's, that's where, but that's not right. Because if you're on the bench, you're on the team. And if you're on God's team, you're going to heaven. And so, Clearly, when we baptize children, they don't get on the bench. So where, where do the children go? Where do they go in here? They go, they're in the stands. You see, there's, the, there's two different kinds of churches. There's the invisible church, and there's the visible church, okay? And the visible church exists of people who are believers and non-believers. And every week at River City Church, we, have, we, we are the visible church. You know why I can tell you that you're the visible church? Because I can see you. <laughs> You're visible to me. And amongst us, there are some of us who are following Jesus Christ, who are on God's team and follow him. And, you know, we're playing ball and it's great. And we know that we're on God's team. And then there are others of us that aren't sure what team we're on. And we're in the stands checking things out. And we're kind of evaluating what team we want to be on. And, and, and there are others that are against God, that are playing on the other team. Clearly on the other team, don't like God's team, hate God's team. And they're on this team. And so, that's the visible church, okay? This is the visible church made up of both groups of people. The invisible church is God's team, okay? And our hope is that when we baptize and dedicate children, that they would become part of this team one day. And so, what happens when we baptize and dedicate children is we go into the stands and we give them, I'm sorry for the colors, but I have to use another color, is we give them jerseys and we say, this is the team that I'm on that I want you to root for. 
Let me show you what the game looks like whenever we win, whenever we play. And the church's responsibility then is to get off the bench and get in the game. And I talked to parents and I said, if you really want your children to be a part of God's team, what do you think is going to have the greater impact? If they see you sitting on the bench or if they see you playing the game? And I talked, I, I mean, I have four kids. They all, Grace doesn't play sport. Well, ballet is not really a sport. I mean, I guess it is for a girl. Is that wrong? Dance is a sport. So you think you can dance. Ah, that's what I'm talking about. It's a reality show. That makes it pretty much a sport. More so than golf. But anyway, so I'm just kidding. I'm joking, Paul. You know, it's, it's a universal fact that chill. Oh, wait, sorry. 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 I didn't mean to do that. I really, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. But the reality is that when my children are playing sports and they're not like on the field, if they're like sitting on the bench, I'm not watching the game. I'm on my iPhone. I'm talking to people. I could care less. I, could care. I go to the game to watch them play because I get excited when I see them play the game. And the same thing's true. So I'm telling parents, if you want your kids to join this team, then you better be playing the game. Because if they see you sitting on your rear and doing nothing, looking like the world's struggling with the same thing the world's struggling with, worrying about the same thing the world's worrying about, and you don't look any different than this team, then you're going to make it difficult for them to pick sides. You're going to make it difficult for them to want to be on God's team. And I just talked to them, you know, as a church, this is our responsibility. To be a church that's alive, that's fun, that's exciting, that's irreligious, but not irreverent, that has fun, that we have parties together. We have, you know, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's our responsibility as a church to demonstrate that, but also as parents, it's our responsibility to daily demonstrate that. That's a good illustration, isn't it? That's amazing. The Lord gave that to me at 2 in the morning last night. I went to a Young Life banquet, watched some UFC. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And that's, and that's what happens in baptism and dedication. That's what happens. And so I started praying out this week. I was praying about something and thinking about something, and I felt like that, that it kind of fits into this theme, and that is, well, if we know that we're on God's team, let's assume or let's, you know, that you think I'm a part of God's team, okay? I'm right here. I'm on God's team. I know I'm on God's team. I love Jesus. I serve Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. Um, but, but, but why, what's our motivation to tell people to be about God's team, to be on God's team? Like, why, why, why do we, why do we want people to be on this team? I mean, there are obvious reasons, hopefully, that you're not, this isn't a baffling question, hopefully. You're going, well, because it's, hell's bad, Antley. Hell's just bad, and we don't want our friends to go there. Well, that's the consequence of being on this team, is eventually you won't be with God forever. If you're not with God now, he'll reward you with what you desire, and that will be separation from him eternally. Let me give you an, an illustration. Whenever I was a boy, I played baseball, and, uh, and that was kind of the sport, that was my, my sport of growing up, and I told an illustration, I'm not going to tell again, but another illustration was that my dad, uh, I used to love for my parents to go to my games, and, um, and they would come, and they watched me, they encouraged me, I loved to play for them, just like extra motivation, but one of the things that really motivated me, the real reason I liked my dad to come to my games was because he would, um, he would pay me a dollar for every hit that I got, and so I, and I remember as a kid, and like, being like third or fourth grade, like running down the baseline, like doing number two, like when I'm running, 
two dollars, dad, and like yelling, like when I get a hit, if it gets to the infield, I'm thinking, yes, that's another dollar, you know, and running around, and, and I was really motivated by the reward that came from my father, and what was great about this reward was this, about the system, about the system, and it was this, is that if I dropped the ball, if I made a fielding error, not that I ever did, if I made a throwing error, if I struck out, there was no punishment. He still would reward me with love and affection and acceptance and excitement that, that I was playing the game. And so I was like in this win-win situation that I could be in this game and that if I did well, if I, if I got a hit, you know, a single was a dollar, a double was two dollars, triple was three dollars, a home run was five. And, and that he would reward me based on how I played the game that day. And I think one of the things that we don't talk about in the church is that, is that I think our Father in Heaven rewards us in a similar way as children on his team. And that is that he loves to reward us when we play the game by his rules. You see, there's, there's several reasons why people need to be on God's team. You know, one is in Romans, Paul says this, 2, 5, and 8. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Wrath, fury, bad. And that's one of the reasons. Salvation. What Jesus came is to save us from hell. To save us from sin. From being eternally separated from God. God's wrath. He came, and we're not going to get into this, but he basically takes God's wrath for us. So God's wrath, who's being poured out on us, moves to Jesus. Jesus absorbs that wrath for us. Giving us opportunity to go to heaven and to be with him. So that's, that's the first reason. And that's probably the most common reason that we know about. If you've ever been forelawed before, you know, four, you know, four spiritual laws, that's what, that's what you hear. It's kind of fire and brimstone. The other reason, and we talk about this in our church, is Jesus says the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so we tell people, look, if you're over here playing for this team, let me tell you the objective of your game. The reality is the person who's leading your team desires to kill you, to destroy you, to hurt you, to rob from you. All those things, that's what he wants for your life. Come be on our team. Because on our team, Jesus says, I've come, and I'm going to give you life to the full. Watch what life looks like when you play for our team. Just look at the way we live. Look at how we are. And we promise and we tell people, look, come be a part of God's kingdom now because there are benefits now on this earth and being a part of his kingdom. Natural consequences that occur following Jesus playing for his team. And we, we talk about that a lot at River City Church. And the third thing that we talk about when we talk about why should we be on God's team is in Luke 4.18. You've heard me say this a million times. Is the spirit, Jesus comes in and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We say, hey, come and be on our team. You know, all you tree huggers and people who love the world, guess what? Jesus loves the Father's creation too and wants to restore it one day fully. Come be in our team and work out that process in your relationship with Christ because he loves 
the world and the cosmos. Come be in our team because the injustices that are being, that, that you see in our culture, Jesus has come to fight for those injustices, to make right what is wrong, to give hope where there's hopelessness. And so there's the whole, and that's called the social gospel. And so we tell people, come be in our team because this, Jesus loves to do. You have a heart for the poor, come be in our team. So does Jesus. And so those are all reasons. Those are kind of the biggies that we tell people why they should be on God's team. And both are good. They're all good. But there's another reason. There's another reason that if we're on God's team, wrong color, that we're on God's team, that we should be encouraging one another to play. And that is, just like my dad, like I said earlier, God loves to reward us when we get out and we play by his rules. And I'm not talking about better natural consequences here on earth while we live, but a reward that is from God that he has for his children who are on his team that played by his rules instead of their own. And I'm going to let scripture lead us through this reality because I think it's, it's hard for us to understand this. But I want to I be really clear. In Romans 14, this is what Paul says to, to the Roman Christians. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. And then in verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul's speaking to Christians. You will give an account for what you've done on earth. And then 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Whether good or evil, we will be, be before Christ, the judge. And we see Jesus in the, in the, uh, with the goat and the sheep at the end of time. He separates the goats from the sheep, and he rewards those who have done good works. And as believers, you know, as I say that, I, when I first read this, and I'm studying this this week, I'm thinking, well, man, that's kind of, that kind of makes me a little scared, a little fearful. Like, am I going to be, like, in the low rung of heaven or something? That doesn't sound very cool and not very fun. And the judgment talked about here that, that I just read about, that Paul talks about the Christian, does not have to do with punishment. It has to do with strictly rewards, just like my dad in the baseball in the baseball game, when we get to heaven as Christians, when we're before Christ as Christians, there's no condemnation. I'm going to read that verse in a second. But what is offered to us, we shouldn't be afraid of that judgment because Christ has covered us. Because at that judgment, we will only receive blessing. We will only receive reward. Paul is using this to motivate us to live righteously, to play by God's rules, because he knows when we get off the bench, We'll find life to the full. We'll advance the kingdom of God. We'll, people will come into salvation. But there's no fear, though. God does not use fear to motivate us. In John 5, 24, it says this. This is Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from life to death. Whoa. That sounds like it's contradicting, Antley. Well, it's not. 
It's not contradicting what Paul said. And Paul's not contradicting what Jesus said. The judgment here is talking about eternal condemnation. The separation between these two teams. One light, one dark. When we come into judgment, and we know that because it says we pass from death to life. It's contrasting the difference between death and life. And Paul reassures us, and we've heard this verse again and again, that there's no condemnation in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it's almost like, I didn't draw this line before, but I think that it best illustrates it. When we become a Christian and we become part of God's team, this happens. This happens. And Jesus is saying, if you're on this side of the playing field over here, there's no condemnation. There's no punishment. Only reward for you. Does that make sense? Okay, good. See the difference? Condemnation, big picture, eternal, darkness, hell, wrath, bad, don't want to be there. And then life, promises, grace, mercy, receiving rewards from the Father, only rewards from the Father, no condemnation at all. And so the day of judgment will be a day in which unbelievers are punished and believers are rewarded. And, the, and this is the great scripture that really illustrates this the best. And it's 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. You know, when you, we start studying something, you read scripture, you're like, where did, how, 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 I never saw that. This was one of those for me. 1 Corinthians 3, and that probably surprises you because I am so intelligent. But anyway, don't feel bad. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. But it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this is what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. Look, you're on the right team. I'm saying that, and he's saying this to us today. You're on the right team. But a day is coming when what you built your life on, who you really live for, will be revealed. If it is anything but Christ, it will be burned up. You will go to heaven still. You just won't. You won't receive reward for the way that you lived. However, for those of you who have lived and played the game by my rules, that too will be revealed. And you will receive a special reward in heaven. Make sense? I know what you're thinking. I thought the same thing. How can I truly be happy in heaven if I don't have the rewards of everyone else? I mentioned this earlier. I kind of let the cat out of the bag too early because now you know what the answer is. It's like we get the championship ring but not the reward. We do. We get reward in this kingdom. We get reward as we seek and as we are part of what God has for us. His grace, his mercy, his love, and all of those things. But there are greater rewards for those who choose to play by God's rule, who get off the bench and play and get in the game. And God knows that. I mean, Paul knows this. It's the way we think. 
that we're motivated by this kind of reward. We just are. We're motivated by reward systems. And Paul knows that. He communicates it to us so that we get out in the game and these people in the stands will play for God's kingdom. So that we'll find life to the full. So that we'll break the powers of oppression and injustice in our culture. Because it's hard to get off the bench. It's hard to live for Christ. It's hard to be holy and righteous in our living, to choose that way. It's difficult. It's hard. And God knows that it's hard. My son, Cole, whenever he was little, he was little. And he still is little. He's a little guy, unlike myself. And he, whenever he was little, we started, he started playing soccer, like amoeba ball, where they would just kind of all follow the ball around, like everyone. And Cole was little, and he would never get in there. He would never get in there and kick the ball. And so you know what I did? I said, Cole, every time you touch the ball, I'll give you a nickel. Every time you just touch the ball, I'll give you a nickel. Well, that changed Cole. All of a sudden, he got aggressive. He was like in there just trying to touch the ball. He wasn't even kicking it at first. He's like, nickel, 10 cents, 15, 20, 25. And he's just like running around, touching the ball. He wasn't shooting at the goal. He was just running around, just touching the ball. But he was getting in the game. And, he, and he's discovered, I like touching the ball. I'm fast. I can even score with the ball. I wanted to like reward him for goals. The Lord was like, you're not doing what your dad did. That started a horrible pattern in your life. I want to expand on that, but there's nothing wrong with reward, but anyway, so Cole, he discovered with my motivation that this game is fun, it's more fun to touch the ball, it's more fun to get in the mix, it's more exciting to score goals rather than sit back and watch everyone else do it, that's all that Paul's doing, that's all that Paul's saying to us is, hey, the father has special reward, get in the game, have some fun. Christ has won it all. You're saved. There's nothing to worry about. You're not anywhere over here. Don't worry about that. There's no fear. There's no condemnation. So get off the bench and play. We have to be careful here, though, because even though there will be degrees of reward in heaven, the joy and the satisfaction that we will experience in heaven will be totally complete for all eternity. And that's hard for us to comprehend because here on earth, our happiness and our joy is often grounded in the amount of authority and the power and the wealth and the status that we have, isn't it? Which, which, which points to the problem we have that we need Jesus to help us with. That it's not about us. We should be excited that we're just on the team because of what he has done to make that happen. If you ask, how is that possible, Emily? How can I be in heaven? And people be ahead of me and closer to God. Or we, I don't know what it's going to look like, not closer to God. But how can that be? I don't know the answer to that. But that's the way that it is. That you will be utterly satisfied and joyful and full of happiness in heaven. Where there's no pain, there's no guilt. There's no worry. There's no jealousy. There's no I want what you have. Totally and fully satisfied in every way is what the Bible talks about. And if you think about it. If your happiness, if true happiness was based, was based on the amount of reward that you had or the authority that you had, then the only truly happy person in heaven would be God. Because he's, he's really the only one who has it all. After that, there's, there's varying degrees. And so we have to trust. This is one of the places where we have to trust Scripture 
We have to trust that what God tells us in his word that we don't understand is true. And it's consistent and true to God's character. That he has enough to go around for everyone. Enough joy to make our joy complete. Enough love to make our love complete. Enough happiness that we will never want for any, any more happiness than we have. And so rather than competing with each other, we would do well to become encouragers, wouldn't we? You know, and this is an important teaching. I thought about not doing it because I, I didn't feel like I was going to be prepared. But, but I just feel like this teaching directly opposes the idea that, you know, I'm going to become a Christian and then still love the world, still do this, still do what I was doing. I'm forgiven, God's grace, Lord, give me mercy. I want your life to the full and this world to the full. I want my cake and I want to eat it too because I'm still going to heaven. And you know what? You're right. But your life sucks. Your life will suck now, and it won't be the reward that you desire to have in heaven. That God has something stored up for those of us who say, I want to get off the bench. I don't want to keep resting. I want to go after the kingdom. I want to be what, you know, I want to fulfill the purpose that Christ has for me. And in doing so, we discover that life is here, not here. And people here see it. People here see it, and they become part of God's kingdom. Not because of what we say, we believe, but because of how we're living. Paul wants us to be motivated to please our Father in heaven. That we would live in a way that communicated to him our loyalty and our desire to serve and love him. A willingness on our part to do whatever he asked, whenever he asked it, whether big Big or small, whether public or private, whether on staff with the ministry or as a lay leader, whether in the poor neighborhoods or in the wealthy, whatever God asks, I want to do it. Not so anyone else will see, but because there's a reward for me when I'm obedient in heaven. And it pleases the Father. I want to bring joy to the Father, a willingness on our part to do whatever he asks, all for him, for his team to win. That we would work towards building his kingdom and not our own. Jesus has done all the work to get us on the right team. We have no fear of condemnation. We have no excuse for not going for it. Biting off too much. Living life in a way that if God doesn't show up, we're going to be in big trouble. But Jesus has done it all to make it possible. And so I wanted to add, a, you know, one more motivational factor to the basket. It's not only social justice. It's not only personal salvation. It's not only life to the full now. But there are rewards in heaven for those of us who choose to play by his rules. All right. So you should be asking the question, how do I get off the bench? That's next week. That's next week. Let's stand. It begins with realizing that we, we do nothing on our own, that we only get off the bench. We can only play the game under the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you may be out there today thinking, Antley, that's a really cool-looking headband. No, you might be thinking today, you know, I've, I've been sitting on the bench. I know I've been sitting on the bench. You don't need to tell me how to get off the bench. I just know that I'm on it. 
Well, I'll tell you, if that's you, we're going to remove, just in a second, the first four rows of chairs. I invite you to come forward and just tell God that. Lord, I want to get off the bench. I'm tired of watching the game being played around me. I want to get involved in your kingdom. Or maybe you've been running around the field and you're exhausted and you're tired. And you need to be refreshed. You need a season of rest. And you need to come and sit on the bench to recover and recuperate. And you're beat up and you're bruised. I invite you to come down and receive whatever God has for you. So let's remove the first four, four rows of chairs.